This episode of the King's Hall is brought to you by Private Family Banking Partners, John Michael Clark at The Family Captain, and our supporters at Patreon.com. Why is it that people today have such difficulty finding friends? Men do not possess the brotherhoods they once had. Women are plagued with the bite of loneliness. And children no longer fill the streets with their laughter. Friendship is something that needs to be recovered and cultivated. The philosopher Cicero and the philosopher Aristotle both shared a Pythagorean philosophy of friendship, which placed such value on friendship that every man should strive to have a friend closer than a brother. Both philosophers reference a famous story from the Greeks to communicate the standards of friendship. Dionysius was a terrible and cruel king. The ruler was feared by both enemies without and subjects within. When tyrants reign, fear abounds, but not just from the tyrant's subjects. The tyrant himself has much to fear, and his fears were justified. He was hated by the people. Paranoia often kept Dionysius awake at night. Often, fitful sleep and vivid dreams would be his companions in the dark of night. It is reported that Dionysius would execute men simply because of dreams of assassinations. One day, Dionysius noticed two men that were unfamiliar to him. When the king inquired about these suspicious men, he was told they were two friends named Damon and Pythias. He was also told that Pythias had made speeches asserting that tyrannical kings should be overthrown. The two friends were full of mirth at the excitement of their travels to Syracuse and the pleasure of having a close friend as a peer in the sea of the unfamiliar. Dionysius watched the two friends and grew more and more suspicious. Fear feeding the anxieties of the king, he convinced himself that Pythias would attempt to assassinate him and ordered the man's arrest. The king charged Pythias with being an assassin and sentenced him to be executed. The king asked Pythias, have you anything to say before you meet death? Yes, said Pythias. I would ask the king grant me five more days of life. Let me go home to say goodbye to my wife and children and to put my household in order. I will return. You have my word. The king, in disbelief, shook his head. Do you expect me to trust you would return? Impossible. What guarantee would you give to convince me you would keep your promise? Pythias's good friend Damon stepped up beside his friend and said to the king, I would take his place. If he does not return, kill me instead. The king, shocked by this offer, replied, Very well, but you are a fool, for I would not hesitate to order your death at sunset five days hence if Pythias isn't here. You will die in his place if he does not return. I have no doubt he will keep his word, said Damon. The bewildered king ordered Pythias to be released and Damon to take his place in prison. Two days passed and the king grew more curious. He visited Damon in prison and the king asked Damon if he regretted this decision he had made with his friend. Damon said he did not. He trusted his friend and knew he would return. The king visited the next day and asked Damon if he was worried. What if his friend saw his wife and children? and would gladly break his word to stay with them. Damon answered with unwavered confidence that his friend would return. He was merely delayed. Perhaps he met trouble on the road, 
or the winds were unfavorable in his travels by sea. The king said he was a fool for believing the word of his friend. The fifth day arrived, the day of promised return, the day when Damon would be executed if his friend did not come. The sun made its slow, inevitable arc through the sky. Damon was brought from his cell to the king. The smug-faced King Dionysius looked down at the man who would be executed because he had made a mistake the king had not made, to trust another. The king taunted Damon. Damon, where is your friend? It has been five days hence and I do not see him. Damon calmly replied to the king, he is my friend, he will return if possible. The king ordered the man to be taken to the executioner. Damon was led away to the city square and up the platform where he would meet his end. A hood was placed over his head and the king yelled out, Damon, what kind of friend you are, if only Pythias was such a friend to you. Do you now regret this deal you have made? Do you now regret trusting the word of your friend? With straight spine, the hooded Damon yelled, even now, I trust he will return. The king waved his hand and the executioner forced Damon onto the chopping block. Taking hold of the ax, the executioner raised it to take the man's head when a scream was heard from the back of the crowd. Stay your hand, it is I, Pythias. I have come as promised, do not kill the man. Pythias shoved his way to the platform. The man's clothing was in tatters. He was covered in cuts and bruises. Pythias rushed to his friend and said, Damon, my ship was wrecked in a terrible storm, and robbers attacked me on the road. I ran the entire way as quickly as I could. I am here, my friend. Pythias turned to the king and said, Release my friend. I am ready to meet my executioner. King Dionysius stood stunned at what had just happened. Never had he believed the man would return. He was deeply moved by the loyalty and love these two men had for each other. The crowd begged for mercy for the men. The king raised his hand to stop the clamor and said, Never have I seen such friends as Damon and Pythias. Never did I know such faith and loyalty could exist in men. Neither shall die. Their friendship should be allowed to live. The King's Hall podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Well, gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the King's Hall podcast. I am one of your hosts, Eric Kahn, joined today by Damon and Pythias. Whoa, <laughs> Whoa. I would not make that offer. <laughs> Dan, I'd go all the way. Wow, I'm humbled. Thank you. <laughs> if, if, if a tyrannical king ever threatens one of us with death, we got to make a pact right now. Yeah, right I'd, now. I'd do it. I'd trust you. My guy. I'd trust you. That's powerful stuff. Probably. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> in the comfort of my chair in our recording studio, here, I would trust you. Here we, we say. <laughs> here yeah. we stand. And I really hope we don't sit. have to <laughs> see see the metal, the true metal yes. on this one. Indeed. Well, gentlemen, in this episode, uh, we're going to be talking about exactly this, about how friendship shapes men, how it shapes women. But in particular, as we continue with this theme of fatherhood, we're going to be talking about how fathers are made to teach their children friendship. Now, unfortunately, Dan, as you mentioned in the cold open, it's rare for men to have male friendships anymore. So we're going to talk about why some of this is. I think it's an important question as we we talk about how friendship can be given to our children. We need to understand it for ourselves. 
So we're going to unpack that in the problems of fatherhood, friendship, and passing that on to children. Uh, but it reminded me, by the way, of a meme. Uh, you guys remember this meme? It was floating around a few years ago, and they said, everybody talks about the miracles of Jesus, but nobody talks about the real miracle. He was a man in his 30s, and he had 12 male friends. Yep. That gets straight to the heart of the issue, doesn't it? So true. And then finally, gentlemen, this uh, episode, we're going to be talking about how this friendship can be passed on to our children just practically, pragmatically. How do yeah. we actually teach them these things? So I want to start with the importance of friendship in general. One of the responses that we get so often to the Kings Hall podcast is that people say, I, I really enjoy the friendship on the show. So, Dan, either we're really good actors or there's real friendship represented in the three of us. I think we're good at acting. We're good at We're acting. really good at <laughs> acting. No, um, we, are, we are friends. We're good friends. And so why is it appealing? Yeah. It's because it doesn't exist at, in abundance as it, as it used to. You know, that was part of my, uh, my first comment in the cold open was that brotherhoods don't exist. You can even look back at like my grandfather. Granted, I I don't, you know, the Knights of Columbus and and uh, the Templar, the Masons, the Masons. And stuff like that, Free like Masons. real bad, real bad stuff. Okay, um, but he had a lot of close friends. Yeah. I mean, they would go like, square dancing together. They would hang out. Like they had their own bars that they would go to, like the VFW. Cause my grandfather was a, a veteran, and so even military type buddies. You know, so there was there were social the social structures and the culture lent itself more to cultivating friendships. Mm -hmm. And I mean, all you have to do is just look around today, uh, just look at your own life and realize that those don't exist anymore. You have like coworker friends, mm -hmm. which I mean, I've had coworker friends before, and God bless them. I do not want to see them outside of work. <laughs> you know, yeah. like they're they're buddies at work, but that's, oh, is that's this about, about it. us. So anyway, so there are other, <laughs> and then you've got, uh, you know, you go to church for like, you know, an hour and a half every Sunday, and then that's about it. And you have an online life, even at work, most of us work on a computer, you know, so it's, it, there's just not a context in yep. which to build friendship. And so it is rare today. And it is strange in a way that we are attracted to that, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not uncommon because. All you have to do, we'll, we'll get into this, is look online at other friends, digital friends, yeah. and people want to be, want to join the conversation. They want to be a part of the group. They want to yeah. involve themselves in the friendship, and they are just starving for it because it just doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. It's so sad that so many people today know all of the inside jokes, and they feel a very intense connection with people who have no idea who they are. With Mr. Beast and his friends, with I mean that's a YouTube that's fairly novel, but I mean even think about with with Chandler and I I've never watched the show Friends, but I think oh, Chandler Chandler and uh, Monica and who all the the people from the show Friends, that's, a TV show yeah friends. that's what it was it was yeah. like real popular show about a group of friends and I think there's probably an aspect that's just it's part of our our nature to be attracted to that yeah. Yeah. To be a part of that, um, and some of it could be nostalgia or, or some other feelings yeah. of connection, having shared inside jokes before and having shared the camaraderie of friendship and, yeah. and being attracted to it. 
but it's not a substitute right, it's for not the a, real thing. And that's the problem is so many people have, they can do all of that. They could describe all these friendships and they feel a very close uh, friendship or, or relationship with people. Uh, and again, it can be good, Sam and Frodo. Any good story does this. It draws you into the characters. But then when that doesn't exist at all in your real life, and then you start to do that with digital substitutes where now, yeah, you can have all of this. You know all of the lingo of your Twitter sub niche and you know all of the the what's the battle of the day and like, but do you know anybody? You guys have heard me mention John Michael Clark over at The Family Captain before. Well, The Family Captain is all about practical coaching for Christian husbands in family leadership and sex in marriage. That's right. John Michael has an awesome system and program over there that's helped a ton of guys level up and go from being happily married to ecstatically married. Well, The Family Captain has a conference coming up in Nashville this September 14th, 15th, and 16th, where John Michael, who is also a pastor, is going to be speaking. Of course, but they've also got Ryan Frederick of Fierce Marriage. Ryan's been in the marriage ministry game for a while now. He's a solid brother, and they've got Pastor Dylan Davis as well, who happens to be one of the alumni of the Family Captain program. So it's going to be an awesome weekend where husbands will be encouraged and equipped in practical self-leadership and family leadership. So you guys should definitely check that out. And John Michael, one of the listeners of the Kings Hall podcast to have 10% off on the conference. So when you register, use the code KINGSHALL, all caps, KINGSHALL, to get that coupon. So that's Nashville, September 14th to the 16th, code KINGSHALL, all caps, no spaces, and search The Family Captain on Eventbrite. Yeah, I mean, and I think the thing is, this is actually just one granular issue in a bigger uh bigger cosmic issue. Yeah. Because if you look at the earlier episodes from the season on fatherhood, we talked about fathers, uh, like digital fathers. Mm -hmm. And we gave the example of the, um, dad, how dad, how do I, or whatever? How, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dad, how do I YouTube channel? Yeah. And so even, even like digital fathers, like father, son, father, daughter relationships, digital yeah. friendships are now more common. There is a human relationship issue. Yeah, that we have right now, and so I mean, friends are a massive part of that. Yep, yep, yeah. I think that's really important. We'll delve into in just a moment some of the more you know bigger issues of why people have a hard time making friends in our society, specifically our children. But gentlemen, I want to ask you, why is friendship itself such a powerful force in the world? And as you're answering that question, I, I think a big part of it is what is it? So we may mm -hmm. take this for granted. What is friendship? I think of the proverb, right? A brother is born for adversity. Yeah. We certainly heard that in the cold open. Uh, it reminds me also of a couple things. One is Band of Brothers. Mm -hmm. You know, they were not, it was not playing Leroy Jenkins through a computer screen yeah. that formed the Band of Brothers. Uh, but these guys were actually in the trench together. They were fighting alongside one another. They had seen some of the worst things um, and they had been bonded together. Uh, when you watch the intro and outro on Band of Brothers, I'm assuming you guys have seen that. Yes. The way that they talk about each other. Mm -hmm. And and even though they were like 90 years old when they were doing the documentary, they're, they're like tears filling their eyes as they think about their brothers, both those who've fallen and those who made it through with them. Um, so I just want to ask you, uh, why? What is? I guess, what is friendship, first of all? Uh, answer that question. And then why so powerful? 
You know, when I think about all of the passages in Scripture about friendship, mm-hmm. and it makes distinctions consistently between different types of things that might look like friendship but aren't, like Proverbs 18, 24 says, "...a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother." Um, Proverbs 27, 6, "...faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy." Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, two are better than one. Uh, for if one falls, he will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone if he falls. A lot of these things have to do with, you know, like a, a companion might be a group of people you're around, but friends are people who take uh, a clear and even courageous interest in your ultimate good. Mm. They love you, and so they want your ultimate good. They don't just, it's not just a, a relationship of some mutual benefits. It's not just like, you know, we happen to be doing things. Coworkers are like this. You can feel like they're friends sometimes. You know, you think about, I worked at Starbucks, or, and you kind of know the other people there, and you laugh together, and you have some inside jokes. But it's like, biblically speaking, it seems as if real, true friendship is so focused on the good of the other that it's willing to even wound the other, take risk. It's like, a linking of life to where you're saying, I want to build, I want to see you built up in Christ and in every other way. I want to see your house, your legacy built. You want to see my house, my legacy built. It's like there's a depth there. It seems like a lot of it, Brian, what you're describing is I think of David and Jonathan, I think of Naomi and Ruth. Mm-hmm. It's really about like covenant pledging to one another. Yeah. And we think about the friendship of the Lord being kind of the primary example. Yeah. But Ruth saying to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Yeah. Your people will be my people. It's kind of like the height of friendship. Yeah, Christ is a friend to sinners, meaning like he's not going to just allow them to continue in that state, but he's also not going to crush them. He knows them deeply. There's a there's a it, there's a love there that is genuine and from the heart. I mean, th- those kinds of elements there, they can be built around lots of mutual goals, and you know, there's lots of context where friendship can be built, but but like the ideal friendship is that band of brothers where you're like, yeah, he would die for, for me and my people, and I would die for him and his people. Yeah, I actually find it really interesting in the story of David and Jonathan, uh, so many people want to turn it really gay, mm-hmm, you know, when, yeah. when they say that, you know, they're, they had a love that surpassed the love of women, but... It's it's such a different relationship than a like a husband and wife, because it would be inappropriate for a wife to say, I'll give my life for my husband. Mm-hmm. Right. But for two men that are closer than brothers, we look at the story of, of Damon and Pythias and say, like, that is just, yeah. you know, that is good. Yeah. Or a band of brothers saying, like, I will give my life for yours. And it's the other way around. It's such a mutual sacrificial sort of relationship, that it is a different type of relationship than a husband and wife. Yeah. And that's why I think that he says that is because they would give their lives for one one another in a way that would be inappropriate in a married relationship. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, It also makes me think about, you know, as we unpack something like what would be the keys to friendship, I was thinking about um, how we've been aligned with each other here in Ogden. One of the things that has... I think been a key to this friendship is we all have the attitude of burning the boats. Yeah. Like you come here, you plant your roots. We've worked through conflict very differently when you say to one another, well, we're here no matter what forever. So I guess we better work through it. It's sort of like in a marriage. Yeah. 
when you say we, we don't even talk about divorce, we know that we have to work through the issue. So we're committed to, to doing that, and that shapes the friendship. So as you guys think about friendship, what would be some other keys to friendship formation? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that you you bring that up about like burning the boats because it makes me think of one of the keys. We've to the extent that we we feel that way, and it's not even just about like new Christendom press or making pot this kind of at the core. Really, it's that we're in a church community where, and everything a church community should be, where we're saying this is the place I'm going to give my life to these people, this place, this church. The, the name of Christ here in Utah and, and beyond as it, you know, Ogden and beyond as the Lord hopefully blesses and extends the network and roots of friendship and connection. But that to me is the key. It's not even just like a work relationship thing. Everything we're doing with podcasts and whatnot could die tomorrow, and we would still all be here trucking because what, are, what we're aligned around is the most fundamental central mission of the Christian man and family, that's where the roots of this friendship have been built. Like Dan and I have been friends and pushing the plow together before any podcasting or whatever. Like we were here. Yeah, it's really interesting. Get, taking shots and and building and fighting and doing all in the church. Well, and Brian, you bring up a really good point. I think mission, friends and mission, but particularly for men, Men are, uh, I've often heard this, like men are, rather than being face-to-face relationally as Mm -hmm. much, they want to be side-to-side. So side-to-side building things, fighting in the trenches, that sort of thing. Um, It seems like mission would be really important. So, Dan, I want to get your thoughts on why mission. Like, could you have great friendships with no mission? Yeah, I Mm -hmm. think one of the keys to mission is having a similar vision and principles, right? Because if you don't have similar principles to another person, it makes other things that I was going to talk about loyalty. It makes loyalty mm-hmm. really diff- yeah. difficult mm-hmm. because your principles, your virtues, the things you're aiming at are actually different. You cannot be loyal to that person because they're actually aiming at a different thing. And so I know you, you know, you're asking about mission probably in a little different way, but I'm thinking as like, what are the values of your life? What are you pointed at? What does success oh, look like? Yeah. Yeah. What is an entire thrust to your life? Yeah. And if those things are, are different, that's going to be really, really hard. And, yeah. and you know what's funny is often I think that, it, especially in like reformed circles, we think, well, that means like we have to have theological like-mindedness. And that's not it. That's not it at all. That's not what I talk about. Principles. Theology is just kind of an outflow of some of your principles. That's a symptom, not an actual principle in itself. Like being a Calvinist is not a principle. That is an outflow of your principles. Uh, wanting to understand you know, how God operates in the world and with people, you know, specifically with Calvinism and, and soteriology yeah. and salvation. And so you can get along uh, with a diverse theological, mm-hmm. you know, background, but the aim has to be similar. The aim has to be similar. Otherwise, yeah. how are you supposed to spur your brother on? Mm. How are you supposed to spur your friend on to success and to correct him if you're actually not even pointed at the same thing? So I think that is... One of the absolute keys, uh, you'll even see this in family dynamics as kind of like a side note. Mm-hmm. Why do you look at some families and you're like, you guys like get jacked to 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 like have game night? Yeah. Like family get togethers are like, you're like stoked for it. I'm I'm excited. I'm gonna go hang out with the family. And then other people are like, you know, it's like this monumental event of dread mm-hmm. going to hang out with family, like Thanksgiving. Lord help me, 
I do not want to go. You know, and a lot of it comes down to shared values. Mm. What are they pointing at? They're pointing at something different. It becomes almost incompatible uh, to have relationships with people that have such different values. So mission is a huge part of that. Mission is a huge part of it because by nature, so when uh, you know friends, I think have to be loyal. That's one of the one of the main virtues of a good friend is loyalty. Because you you think about the the and what an enemy would do is betray you, like. Mm-hmm. That's that would be the opposite of of being loyal is betrayal. That's why it's it's so hard when you're watching a movie and you see a friend, you know, turn on his friend, mm, like you Robert know. the Bruce. Right? Yeah. Those moments. That sense are, of betrayal. Yeah. Like I thought you were for me, but, Judas. You know, I thought that you were. You know, well, Jesus wasn't fooled, but the other disciples. You know, it must have been perplexing heck, and yeah. like, uh, uh, it was horrible. You know, to have this loyalty. sense of betrayal. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because one of the things that Brian had mentioned from Proverbs is uh, that a friend sometimes wounds uh, with his words. He speaks the truth to his friends. And a lot of times in the moment, that can feel like disloyalty, but it's actually the opposite. Yes, highest loyalty. So so one of the things I've noticed is, um, this particularly online, but like you'll have uh, groups of people who all, want, for one reason or another, fighting together on some internet issue, which makes you wonder how real it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like... You sort of have the like we won't correct our friends mentality, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it's interesting. Uh, I think it would be helpful for people to know this. Like that's something that we're doing all the time, actually, and even welcoming with each other of saying most hey, of the time welcoming. Where are my eventually <laughs> eventually <laughs> welcoming? <laughs> yes, that's right. But why why is that such an important part of friendship, Brian? Well, like when Dan's talking about loyalty and principles, and, and it's. This is such a key to this part because when you have uh, loyalty, your ultimate loyalty is to your friend's good. And so the principles are really important. What are we trying – how do we evaluate what is good and what is not in their life, my life, our shared mission, all that that kind of thing? And a lot of times like you have – you'll have – you can have surface disagreements and things about that. But if you share the same ultimate common good principles and that you're aiming for, what are we trying to do together? What are we aiming for? And it's not just like – you know, oh, we like to go mountain biking together because that's fun, or we hunt together or whatever. But it's like, no, what are we aiming for? Well, at the bottom, across all kinds of different disagreements and different wirings and gifts gifts and, like, different personalities, it's like, what are we aiming for? The, the kingdom and glory of Christ amidst this people, down through the generations, in our families, building one another up, that's what we're doing. And so if we're all loyal to that, that, and we know that that's in our, our friend's best interest, and he agrees with that. He's like, yeah, that is the best interest. Then when you come and you say, I think that you're not living in alignment with your principle here, and you bring correction or counsel or even wounding, then what are you doing? Well, you're actually saying, friend, we all agree on this shared glory that we're aiming for. We're trying to win this glory together. And I'm going to wound you now because you're going left off of that path. And so let me... Let me wound you. And it, like sometimes right away, oh, thanks, man. I needed to hear that. And then sometimes three months later when you're like, ah, dang it, they were right. It's always Dan. It's always like, it's always Dan when, when Eric and I six months later are like, was he right again? That dog, how did he know this? It's like, you know, well, and actually, then, that's and then a you really, steer back. That's a really important 
aspect of friendship because if you have friends that are unwilling to do that, they're not actually friends. Exactly. They're like companions. Yeah. Actually, Proverbs 19 says, wealth makes many friends. Yeah. You'd mentioned mountain biking and hunting. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure that if you're in hunting or fishing or something like that, you've got, a ho- and you're any good at it, yeah. you'll have a host of people that want to be your buddies all of a sudden. They see a picture of a really big fish or like yeah. a nice buck or something like that, and they're like, hey, Buddy, where'd you catch that? Yeah, what's <laughs> what's going on? They were using maybe you take me out sometime. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, um, and obviously, like, uh, if you're wealthy, you've probably experienced this before. A lot of people want to, you know, get close to you, but those people wouldn't risk the benefit of the relationship for your good. For your good, they're in it for their own good, and that's that's the key. They're in it f- that relationship for their own good, not the good of their friend. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. Uh, one last thing I guess I want to talk about uh, uh, regarding friendship is, you know, it's good for women, but it's good for men especially because I think for men it doesn't happen anymore is male-only spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Anthony Esselin talks a lot about this principle, how dynamics change when women are present. I was recently reading an article. I think it was on Harper's Bazaar, which is a bizarre place for me to read an article. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the lady <laughs> was talking about how frustrated women are that men don't have friends. Mm-hmm. Because she said it turns men into emotional gold diggers, Mm. meaning they become draining to their women because the women are like, because he doesn't have male friends, he's always coming to me and dumping all of his problems and he doesn't do anything with other men. So he's kind of like a leech. I I think it was like this article is a little old, but it was, I think, kind of the beginning of people starting to see the nice guy syndrome was a problem. Mm -hmm. Like this guy who just lives as a doormat to his wife or to his woman is actually not something that's desirable for women. And so all the women in this article were like, yeah, actually, I want my guy, I want my husband Mm -hmm. to have male friends and do male things together. Yeah. So talk to me about male spaces. And as you're thinking about this, like, Brian, your boys, Dan, your boys, they're going to see you having male spaces or not. Mm -hmm. How is that going to impact them? So- spaces, male spaces, why is that so important? And I think you need, we've lost both. We've lost both male-only spaces and female-only spaces because of this egalitarian lie that men and women are interchangeable. And so you, there's nothing really different. What's the difference between a group of men and women and a group of men only or a group of women only? It's it's a result of those principles being outworked, those bad principles being worked out culturally. Mm -hmm. And what it does particularly for men is it ultimately makes them, I think, um, very weak, very weak, because women cannot, they're literally not designed to lead a man and sharpen him in the same way that other men are. And it does the same thing for women. Men are not designed to sharpen women in exactly the same way that women are. Like, that's why Titus 2 is in the Bible. You need older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to be workers at home, all this glorious, rich sort of stuff. So what happens when you put all of the ladies together and they're, again, principles, mission, loyalty, they're all working together to spur one another on to become the glory of man, to become the most glorious um, home-nurturing, child-rearing, husband-loving, fruitful vines that they can be. Glorious things happen. That won't happen if you just had spaces where men were always there. 
changes the dynamic. For for men, the same thing happens, and women literally don't get this. They actually they it's like a foreign thing to them. If they were to be able to observe without the men knowing that they were observing, how male only spaces work, they might be appalled. And I don't mean because of like sin. There's foolish aspects in fallen male only spaces too. But they would just be like, "What are you guys doing?" Well, particularly, I you you're so of, mean to each other. I was gonna say the way that that we razz each other every now and then. I'll tell my wife. Oh yeah, this interchange happened. This is what Dan said to me, and she'll be like, "Well, uh, are you going to talk to him about that?" And I'm like, "No, I thought it was funny." No, yeah. it's hilarious. I never tell my wife, like almost ever, do I like put any any kind of like church leading, uh, like any of the things we do together. It always involves we're we're fighting outside conflict. We're like always needing to make sure we're staying aligned, and there's always like that male sharpening happening. I never tell my wife about that stuff because she, it wouldn't help her. She she she's not made to bear that load. It strengthens us. It's good for us, but it's diesel fuel in an unleaded engine for her. Yeah, it's really interesting uh, contrasting the article that you talked about men unloading their problems on their wives or whatever. Yeah. If you're in a male-only space with just your buddies and you're like, "Oh man, work was really hard today." This guy was really kind of a jerk and like, uh, you know, just like grumbling on and on. Eventually, it's inevitable. One of the guys will say, wow, if I wanted to hear this much fussing, I would have hung out with my kids, <laughs> you know, or something like that. And that's appropriate. But for your wife to say that yeah. would be very disrespectful. Real bad. Really bad. Yeah. yeah. That is why it is vital that men have other men to correct them because you can speak to one another in a way that it would be completely inappropriate in mixed company. Mm -hmm. What's well, interesting too, I was thinking of uh, the movie 1917 and uh, you remember the scene where his, his friend has just died and the other like commanding officer from the British troops, he walks up to him and he sort of gives him a hug and he's like, I'm sorry about the loss of your friend. And he said, you probably already know this, but it doesn't do to dwell. He's like, get in the get in the truck. And I think that's something men can also do for each other in mm -hmm. the context of friendship is, I'm really sorry. This is really hard, but you need to take the next step forward. Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to do. Um, one of the things I've noticed uh, in a lot of the articles online, you can find a lot of these that talk about why we don't have male friendships. They're like, well, because men aren't emotionally available enough, and they need to see therapists more, and they need to be able to talk about their feelings, their feelings together. And they it, need to like it, have a good small group time where they it, just talk. It is actually really gay. Uh, so, Dan, why is therapy <laughs> Dan's face? Why is therapy? Not it's just my normal face. I don't know what. Why is therapy not helpful? There's a space definitely where men need to confide and to like. You know, talk things through. Mentors, advisors, counsel. Yes, absolutely. But the fact of the matter is a therapist is interested in getting you to come back primarily. That's their source of income. And they don't have the tools that will help you. One of those tools, like we talked about, is the loyalty of a friend telling you hard things. Mm. You know, and that's why therapy is not generally going to be helpful uh, whatsoever. Whatsoever. Because a lot of times... The thing that a, a man needs to hear from a friend is something that's very hard. Mm -hmm. And you are not going to receive it well from a person you are paying. Mm -hmm. Red meat is a staple of a healthy protein-packed diet, but not all meat is created equal. That's why I buy my meat from Salt and Strings Butchery. Salt and Strings is owned and operated by my friends, Quinn and Samantha Bible, 
And the meat they offer is raised, harvested, and processed exclusively in Southern Illinois. It's cut and packaged by my friends Quinn and Anthony. And not only is it the best meat I've ever had, well, all their meat is sourced from local farms that share our Christian values. Salt and Strings is now offering a beef and hog box that can be shipped directly to your door. The 15-pound beef box features 100% black Angus beef and includes ribeyes, T-bones, sirloin, chakros, fajita meat, and ground beef. You can order your beef box today for just $259. They will send it directly to your door. The hog box is $239 and features premium Duroc pork, including eight thick pork chops, one of my all-time favorites, pork steaks, cured and sliced bacon, ground pork, bratwurst, and breakfast sausage links. You can place your order today at saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. And also be sure to follow Salt and Strings on Instagram. We'll also include the link in the show notes. Well, don't you think it's interesting, Dan, like the opposite? We've talked about this a lot. Uh, the Vernon Davis with Mike Singletary. Yeah. yeah. You remember his epic rant, right? Yes. Yeah. Can't win with him. Can't do anything with him. I want winners. And But but then because, you know, Mike, you know, he was recognizing basically in the sun that, you know, Vernon Davis was acting like a child. Yeah. He corrected him. And later, the, you know, Vernon Davis comes back like at the Super Bowl and he was like, I really appreciate what he did for me. So you're not going to get that from a therapist. No, you're not. You need not. a male they space. Have a, they have an interest yet. as a customer to keep you. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of it. And the tactics and tools that they use uh, are not great. So, yeah. but a friend will know you. Mm-hmm. That's that's another part of friendship that's yep. really important is that you are known. Um, yeah. Not in the, again, not in the way of, of uh, husband and wife, but as a, as a man to man, because you have a similar perspective on life. You have similar ideas of, of what you're aiming for with masculinity. You have also similar perspectives on the struggles of being a man, such as like the, the struggles of leadership in your home, the struggles of being able to provide for your family. Like those things, um, only a, a, another man is going to really be able to identify with. And then because they're going to know what the aims should be, what the virtues should be, they're going to be the ones, a friend will be the one to hit you in the soft underbelly of your weakness in order to strengthen you there, to harm you for your own good, uh, which is far more valuable than just going to somebody and just like offloading your emotions. I was going to say something really really (laughs) offensive, but just to offload your emotions and then at the end say like, oh, that was really good. You know, actually, it reminds me of a book that I read a long time ago. I don't even know if it's any good, but because it was been so long, it was called Fight Clubs. And it was about... Uh, masculine friendship, specifically in defeating pornography. And the author talked about how often you'll get these groups of guys that get together that all struggle with pornography. And essentially they do that same thing that you would with a therapist, which is to say like, oh, I'm confessing this thing. I'm offloading. I'm you know feeling emotional. I feel guilt. And you just offload it onto the group. And he called it cheap grace because you never actually repent yeah. from of your sins, you meaning like you actually turn away and then no like, yeah, longer oh, walk in it. They all, do oh it. yeah, like oh yeah, I've yeah, I did the same thing, brother. Like yeah, you know, we all stumble. Like and and over and over again, you're getting this cheap grace without actually ever receiving the fullness of grace and repentance from your sins. And the thing is, like a friend will know that a friend will call you to a higher purpose, 
And a therapist is not motivated by that. Yeah, it's for your good. He's going to say, no, do the, do the hard thing. Do the hard thing now, not the long, much harder wrong thing that's easier up front. It's like, because he, again, he's for you. He's loyal to the principles that hopefully are God-ordained principles for your good and glory, and he's going to love you enough to do that. So when you lose this, when you replace it with digital alternatives or ersatz friendship, like what you're losing is not an insignificant thing. Did you say ersatz? Ersatz. What does that mean? Oh, um, in World War II, uh, they would, in England, you know, they're an island. Shipping's been disrupted by the U-boats and all that, so having a hard time getting food and supplies. So they would start making fake versions of food, like uh, coffee that's chicory and really? sawdust. Uh, uh, literally, they would put sawdust in flour. And they call it ersatz food. Really? Stretched with fillers. It's kind of like how our food is today, except without <laughs> World War II. <laughs> and without something natural like sawdust. Yeah, yeah. It's so they, ersatz was the name powders. for it. Yeah. I actually don't know where that comes from. Yeah, it's that's probably right. like a some yeah, European Yeah, I didn't know that, Eric. Yeah, I had no uh, clue. <laughs> pretty, sorry, guys. Uh, sorry, guys. Pretty dumb blue, blue collar over here. Uh, not, not from England. Eric was just asking like he knew. For he the, was just asking for the, for listener. the listeners. Yes. Uh, Brian, it's actually a good segue into what I want to talk about now, which are some of the enemies of friendship. Uh, you talk about some of these counterfeits. We get this a lot in the Proverbs as well, and things like worthless friendship mm-hmm. uh, for our kids. So Proverbs is from fathers to sons and and daughters, but to children. And it, it's talking about how to avoid the foolish kind of friend. And um, so we're going to talk about that, and then maybe some environmental factors that make building friendships for our children difficult. But Brian, I want to I want to start with something you mentioned here. Uh, when we were talking about the outline, you, you brought this up, and I think it's a really good point. Um, but helping our kids avoid bad digital friends, like mm-hmm. maybe Mister Beast. So, just talk to me about what did you mean by that? Yeah. So you get um, good good business that is God glorifying. Asks the question: How can I love my neighbor in X niche of the economy? How can I love my neighbor who needs to eat? I can provide healthy, high-quality food at a reasonable price that will allow me to flourish and him to do well. I'm going to provide that service with love and excellence. That's like good business sense. Um, you're looking at a human need, and then you're meeting it in a, in a, in a healthy way. So when sin gets into anything, it, it's parasitic. It can't create anything ex nihilo. It has to corrupt something that exists. So when sin gets into the business world, one of the things that happens is that it looks at human needs, and then it latches onto them and monetizes them in a way that's actually destructive to the end user. So one way this happens with the human need for community and relationship and friendship is that rather than writing a good story that like Frodo and Sam is helping you by latching onto that need you have for friendship and saying like, what a friend that is. Man, I want to be like that. I want a friend like Frodo. I want a friend like Sam. But like in real life. In real life. And it's in, it's calling you further up. There's a there's a, a, a really craven way of providing the alternative in a way that is just cheaply monetizing you and actually not calling you up into good friendship. It's providing you with a false model and it's providing you with like a drug alternative to the real thing. So I think of when I think of this, I do think of something like the Mr. Beast YouTube channel, where the the friendship that they have it's it's not around a glorious mission. It's just not the the mission they have is to make the biggest YouTube channel they have, 
and like to goof off and have it's good. Like having fun is good. Goofing off is great with your friends. But what are they trying to build? Like a twenty billion dollar YouTube empire, pretty much. Um, and what what kind of friendship are they presenting to you? Well, the kind apparently where is his name? Um, Chris. And is it John Johnny? Who? What's Mr. Beast's name? I actually don't know. I can't remember. I don't Whatever remember. Mr. Beast and his friend friend Chris, who's like on H HRT hormone yeah, replacement like, therapy, he's going going left his going wife, full tran. Had a wife yeah. and kid, well, left them. Yeah, and so Mr. Beast is like defending him, encouraging him in this and his own destruction. You know, basically saying this is what friends do. This is what friends do for each other. They help one another ruin their lives and, you know, basically sin against everybody in their life and make a shipwreck of, of everything. And that's what it. friends do because friends accept one another. Well, yeah. And then our kids watch that and it's combined with like digital uh, fentanyl in the way that they're cutting their videos and doing all this stuff. And then the kids are subconsciously and consciously absorbing this message of here is the model for friendship. That's one level. And then in addition to that, it's also presented in a way where it's like more and more YouTube channels, more and more videos, more and more content. Um, you and, and what happens is kids go, I don't need friends. I have Mr. Beast. I have my Twitch, and then I have the people I watch on Twitch, and I have, and they just start building a stable of digital fake friends, often who are not actually good at all. And it slowly leaches out until they've replaced all of their need for real friendship, they feel like, with an ersatz version of it. It's acorns ground up and roasted and pretending to be coffee. It's not coffee. What's really interesting, because uh, you can read a lot of the studies on this, but we've talked about it. Gen Z, the iPhone, all that. It's caused psychological damage to our children. Yeah. They're weaker than ever. Suicide rates are astronomical, all of this. Uh, the transgenderism movement in particular has been infiltrating kids' minds through uh, primarily places like Snapchat. Mm -hmm. But even adults today are replacing friendships with online relationships. Uh, there's a number of times online where I've seen people ask really intimate questions yeah. on Twitter. Like, hey, what do you guys think about this? What should I do? And my first reaction is this person clearly has no friends in real life. Oh, yeah. Because who in the world would put stuff on there? It, it, so it's becoming like a replacement for people in real life. Yeah. Uh, which becomes very problematic. It also subjects our kids, though, to a lot of what end up being worthless people. Originally, I, my youngest, I let him watch some Mr. Beast for a time because I thought, okay, it seems pretty clean. It's funny. Yeah, they're just doing some, some hijinks. And then all this stuff kind of comes in, and you're like, okay, problematic. Other people might be asking questions. One, one, the one that uh, we've been watching a little bit lately is Dude Perfect. Uh, uh -huh. I think those guys are Christians. Yeah. So hopefully we don't have to worry about trannyism. They seem a lot more solid, but it really becomes the same thing. Like if you are going to do that at all, this goes back to digital matrix. You're really going to have to limit it and yeah, go make friends out in the real world. And then, and then it's it, what's, what's great is when you can see. So I, the dude, perfect guy seems like those are Christian men. I don't know about a theological background, whatever. It seemed like normal, big, Probably big Eva kind of Baptist. Okay. So, but they have, it actually does a, a decent job of displaying like male-only friendship around silly things. But they have a shared mission, and they say it's to glorify God. Like they, They'll say it in their shows, whatnot, their big tour. So if my kids watch that and I watch it with them or something like that every once in a while, and then I feel great if I can then see my kids going out and having similar friendships right? where they're like, 
doing the same. Maybe they're like, oh, yeah, let's do a trick shot competition like Walter. Yeah. You know, or Actually, whatever. <laughs> Walter and Ari were doing that the other day. Yeah. <laughs> they're like bros, uh, the, our sons, uh, Eric and my sons. And so that's great. But if if I, as a father, if I see my daughters or my sons getting into this kind of world and they're not actually doing it themselves, then I'm like, let's shut that down and let's go make some friends. Because one you need, the other one you don't. It can ser- it can be a servant, right, of good friendship to give you some models in stories and video and film and whatnot. That's a good servant, can be. But if I'm not seeing my kids actually go out and have friends like tall guy and purple hoser, whatever they call it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay, Dan. So you- <laughs> that, that, that is a good question because I had no idea what that was about either, Dan. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you – what are some of the other main enemies of friendship? We're sort of talking about digital media uh, being a foolish friend to our kids. Um, but there's a lot of other things that we could talk about as key factors. So so what what would you say? Yeah, I'm sure I'm getting ahead of us a little bit, but one of the one of the main enemies I think from that are preventing our, our children from having friends is is that we're not setting them up in, in the context in which they can build friends. Okay, so and we're not displaying what that looks like. So I, I think one of the better ways that you can build friendship amongst your kids is by identifying another family, you know, in your church or something like that with similar age kids that you get along with. Like this is the ideal, right? Mm-hmm. You find another family and you're like, we're we're friends. Like that's what's going to happen. We're going to hang out. Dude, we just become we're gonna, best friends. We're going to do, you know, we're going to hang yes, out every did. week. Our yes, kids are going to be friends. Like they're going to hang out. Um, because part of the reason that your children are going to be attracted to a Mr. Beast friendship or whatever the Twitch streamer or YouTube channel is, is that they haven't been inoculated against fake digital friendship by having the real thing. Yeah. You know, and, and so another way that I think that we're not winning our kids to friendship or that are enemies of friendship, and this might seem a little strange, is by not winning their hearts towards friendship. Because the thing is, as much as we want to define what a friend is, you know, it's loyalty, shared mission, you know, vision, uh, being willing to harm one another for for their good, you know, we can define it. But you'll notice, like, if you ask the question, what is a friend? The first thing that comes to most people's mind, I think, will be, oh, it's Frodo and Sam. Like, that, that, it'll be that. Yeah. You know, it, we think about it in story because that's going to be the, one of the best ways that you can see the example of friendship is that they need to be told the right stories. Your children need to be won by the right stories. Yeah. That's why I, I really do think Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. is one of the greatest examples of yeah. this is by reading the right stories to your kids and by communicating to them and winning their hearts to yeah. this idea of friendship and training them to be good friends, they'll realize pretty quickly yeah. that the digital version is just a cheap substitute. Marian it's like Pippen. you know some artificial sugar substitute. It's yeah. just not It's not the real thing. And if they've never tasted it, if you're in World War I, World War II, and your, your fake coffee shows up or your fake flour and you've never had real bread, you don't know. Right. You, you, you no, can't detect point. the difference. What actually reminds me, uh, Proverbs 27, 7, Dan, as you were talking about this, I was thinking about it. One who is full loathes honey, 
but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Oh. So to somebody yep. who's starving. It's really good. You know, you think about it. You're like, when you're starving, you're like, oh, these potato chips taste amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because you're starving. But if, if you were well-nourished, and you, you, you might turn them down. Uh, the other thing I think about, Dan, in terms of, like, social changes in America since World War II, there's actually a book on this by Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone. And he talks about how social capital has been just destroyed in America. Uh, we lack community events. Uh, Anthony Esselin will talk about the same thing. We used to have adult league baseball. Yeah. Uh, there used to be all sorts of community centers, and people would get engaged together. I think TV has also played a big part in the changing social dynamic. I remember in Louisville, Kentucky, we were going to seminary, and we had a power outage for a week. A week of a no week. power. Wow. And so— it was really interesting because everybody went to their front porches. It's the middle of summer. It was extremely hot. We didn't have AC. So everybody went to their porches, and I saw and talked to neighbors I had never even seen yeah. before. But when the power was on and, and it came back on, immediately people would come home from work. You'd never even see them. They'd enter their home or their apartment. They would go in. They'd turn on the TV. That was it. No, when, yeah. no social interaction. When life is hard, it's easier to make friends. In some, in, in, and I don't mean like emotionally hard, con, con conflict hard. I mean like when when there's actual physical challenge and discomfort, mm-hmm. it it that actually genuinely helps in friendship formation. No, it, you're you're right because there's a shared experience there, yeah. which is another key of friendship is mm-hmm. a shared experience, shared interest. Yeah, you know that's suffering together. You know, Eric and Eric and I both have gone, uh, you know, elk hunting, backpacking. You know, you've gone backpacking before. Oh, yeah. There is something that happens when you're encountering difficulties. I'm sure like rock climbing and, and things like that, the same way. Yeah. Like when you encounter hardship and difficulties and it's a shared misery, for some reason, that really does yeah. bring friendship. Uh, war, you know, I think yeah, war. the stories of like war, you know, and friends, friendships that are, are forged there, mm-hmm. you know, around shared mission and hardship. Yeah. There's yeah, just no time. replacement for it. Pa- pa- you know, pastoring people through hard situations together. Those are memories that, that come to mind, like through suffering. When we're we're joining together to do that, um, yeah. I'm, yeah, that's a good that's, an, that's a really good point. Yeah, go Another ahead. aspect of enemies of friendship, we've kind of circled around it a lot, but just like the disintegration of life. A lot of what we're talking about comes to the comes back to this that the industrial revolution and then the information technology revolution successfully disintegrated life by make by doing an easy button for everything so that you no longer had to go like you can get everything you want and never so leave your you home you feel like you can without <laughs> ever leaving your house you get digital friendship you can get your groceries delivered yeah. you don't ever have to go to like have your favorite restaurant where you go and know the staff and the owners everything's hyper optimized and hyper digitalized and what it's done is it's actually cut the root of uh, the, the life together where before that it would be common to where you would have in a community, uh, you'd have all of the basic needs of life would be connected to, you'd have a butcher, you would have a grocer, you would have, and it would be walking distance in your community. You would have all these things together that you couldn't live without, you'd have your church, your parish, you'd have, I mean, like all of these things shared together so, so what you're saying is there is a secret cabal 
mm-hmm. that is organizing <laughs> every aspect of life to make every man an island so that when they enforce their tyrannical rule, there can be no uniting amongst the people to right. overthrow the t- tyrants. And that's what you're saying. They've given you the illusion that you have these connections and they have the power button to all of them, meaning they can immediately shut off all of your communication, all of your access, all of your social media like that. And then you're an island truly. And you have no meaningful, hard-forged friendships. You're very easy to kill because you're fat and soft. Well, why'd you look at me <laughs> when sorry. you said that? I, your, no, eye, he, your, your head yeah, is like a mirror. He's also the hard man. The shining. The shining. He's the hard man. Oh, and Eric's the hard. Yeah, oh, I had to. So, oh, that's fine. I could see myself in the baldness of I'm your head. I'm wearing a shirt that's a little back, too small today, so it makes me uncomfortable. You look actually fit right now because <laughs> you walked in. I was like, "Well, Dan's been lifting." No, it makes you. <laughs> it makes you soft and weak and vulnerable. But, but think about this. Okay, bringing back that. So the enemy's disintegration. One of the things then is to bring back integration. Where why do my kids have way better friends now than I had growing up? Ian, I mean, I grew up in the '90s. Part of it's because we lived a military life that's deeply unrooted. You're moving every two to three years, and you know you have friends, and then you don't anymore, and you don't learn how to make friends. But a lot of it has to do that their shared life grows out of the same social trunk, which is the church, the school, the the social activities surrounding the church, school, family, friendships. That is 90-plus percent of their life experience. Mm. Grows out of psalm saying... St. Brendan's, church on Sundays, Sundays in the park with friends. That's what it grows out of. Yeah, it's really interesting. One of the other things I was thinking about uh, as you guys were talking is the way society has changed uh, in terms of even things like financial inflationary economy type issues. Mm. So because of an inflationary economy, and then especially in the 80s and afterwards, you really get into the acceleration of this. And because of that, now moms have to go into the workforce. So moms and dads are both working twice as hard to bring home the same pay. So that's going to change family life. Then you add in, I think, in America since at least probably about the same, the 80s. I mean, sports have been a big part of American culture, but generally they were recreational and family-centered. Yes. And then what happened is now everybody – you you have four kids – and they're all in a competitive travel league, and there's yeah. only two parents. Mm-hmm. So those sorts of things divide the family as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they really prohibit – everything is overscheduled. So it really prohibits the family from being together on a regular basis. Uh, that stuff is very, very disruptive. Obviously, we've talked about technology. As you think about, Dan, some of the other challenges, one of them I think would be like safety and what, what yeah. some authors have called safetyism. And I want you to think back to our childhoods. My mom didn't work. My dad worked. He made a good wage. We owned a home. We were in a neighborhood. There were copious amounts of unscheduled downtime. And oh, yeah. my mom would say, you boys go play. And we would go out in the street with the neighborhood kids, and we would play football, get in fights, yeah. build forts. This is like suburban Denver. I yeah. mean, the outskirts of Denver. So this And this isn't that long ago. Build rickety bike jumps with... but. Stuff I mean, I'm not even from... thinking about the, the, the new neighborhood where I live. You never even see kids outside. They, like, never leave the house. You know, it's just, like, everything's well manicured. And pretty much all the neighborhoods I've grown up in in the last 10 years, I never see people outside. A lot of my neighborhood, the kid friend, my kids' friends are in the neighborhood. We make them come onto our property and play in our treehouse and blah, blah, blah. But it's, like, the only thing they ever want to talk about is Minecraft, Marvel movies, and... Star Wars, bro. I don't know yeah. what the handheld uh, video game console thing is, but they're always talking about it. 
It's not allowed on our property. Is it a Game Boy? I don't even think it's a Game Boy. I think it's something else. A Nintendo Switch. Switch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all they want to talk. So even when you get them in the environment, you can't take the modern kid. You can you can take the modern kid out of the modern ecosystem, but you can't take the modern ecosystem out of the kid. Yeah. Not as catchy as the It's really not. Song. That wasn't a great phrase. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, I was going to say my childhood was a little bit different because I grew up in a rural area in a town that was known as the second safest city per capita in the U.S. So my experiences Chicago? were... Yes, it was <laughs> Chicago. Yep. Uh, no, it wasn't. So, yeah, my experience was a little bit different because going outside and playing meant, like, there were no neighborhood kids. I would just... We just bummed around mm-hmm. us, us <laughs> boys. So, anyway... So I'm probably not a good example. So you're saying you grew up in a white supremacist community, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, we were supremely white. So <laughs> Wisconsin. Yeah, yes. but that, yeah. those are some I white mean, people. Like my Dan. family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yes, also that. But we have listeners who are rural people. So I yeah. actually when I was eight, we moved to Denver, just to be clear. I think I think I was eight years old. Before that, I lived in a town of a thousand people. It was the same as what you're describing. This is the shooting magpies was like our people would pay us to shoot magpies. Oh, yeah, 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 like, yeah. That's what we yeah. did. Um, what a job. But even then, okay, like today, everything is scheduled. Like if, if kids want to play together, you got to have oh, a yeah. play date. And everything's <laughs> like, are you wearing a seatbelt? I remember going fishing with my dad when I was like five years old. And you remember the trucks with the bench seat? Oh, yeah. Old square body Chevy. My dad never made me buckle. And like we'd be riding around in the truck and like we're not buckled in. Just cruising through the country. There's fishing poles. Dad hands you a cigarette for the drive. He <laughs> just hands you a cigarette <laughs> for the drive. It's like... Here, but, son. <laughs> and somehow we made it, but today it's like... You're like... You see like 12-year-old kids in a booster seat because he doesn't meet the quote-unquote weight <laughs> regulations. And you're like, oh, come on. What is with the over-safetyism, all that stuff in our culture? I think it's it's hard for kids then to experience friendship because everything's a play date. Everything's manicured. Yes. The other thing I would tie to this, uh, as we kind of wrap up this section of of problems, and then I want to get into the practical, helpful things that we can be doing to teach friendship. You remember this thing with the lady from Full House, right? Where they were like, they were like, they got in trouble for trying to get their kids into these elite colleges. Okay, you pair this with Malcolm oh, yeah. Malcolm mm-hmm. Gladwell. Yeah, your kid has to be years, you know, years ahead. So they're teaching them and getting them into the school sooner so they can be ahead of everybody else. And there's like this fixation with academic success, which Mm -hmm. actually doesn't mean that much anymore. But because of that, it's like every kid has to be like involved in a thousand activities so that his, you know, application letter looks amazing. Credentialism. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. They're obsessed with it. Right. Yeah. Is this a good activity? (laughs) You know, you know, one thing that um, that you said that really reminds me of something that I'd read from Esalen was the enemy of organized sports against friendship. I think it was boyhood development and things like that. But organized sports, part of like your over-organized life and your manicured life, the playdate life, yeah. having organized sports rule as the predominant you know, fun activity for your children can be a, a big harm because they don't have to discover themselves to make the rules themselves, to organize themselves, lead, lead themselves. Yeah. Well, that's think right. about- what do you do when you don't have an adult present and somebody gets hurt? Yeah. You tell them to toughen up, form your hierarchy off to yeah, figure out right. where you stand in the hierarchy, which is not everyone at the top. It's well- not egalitarian. One kid at the, at the baseball field that they're playing the kid pickup game, 
there's a couple kids that are in charge, and they're yeah. like, no, that wasn't out. You go home, or I'm going to fight you. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. how, how it works. <laughs> well, it's kind of like the difference between the movie Sandlot, and then you get into like these competitive leagues. I yeah. remember as a kid, our growing up was very much like Sandlot style. That's how baseball was played. It was just the neighborhood kids. Man, what a great childhood. Shooting magpies, yeah, Sandlot. I know. You're I mean, in the outfield shooting magpies. Yeah. <laughs> Put the gun down for the pot fly. Literally. Like, <laughs> go but, get but, 50 cents yeah. to buy a new baseball. Dude. I mean, wow. But I remember that um, Idyllic. in like seventh grade was like the first year I actually like played baseball. Uh-huh. But I'd grown up on like the Sandlot with my buddies. Yeah. Well, I, I started playing. And they were like, you're fairly good for somebody who's never played. Well, it wasn't that I had never played. Yeah. But then I remember how like I was I got burned out by it because it was like the practices regimented. It was like a military lifestyle. Our school looked like a prison, and it was like I yeah. actually missed the Sandlot. Anyway, I think a lot of that is that's detrimental to kids forming their own friendships because everything is so structured. It's all spoon fed. With the banking industry in another tailspin and the Fed ready to raise interest rates again, many of you are asking, when will the madness stop? Are you currently placing 10, 15, or 20% of your income into the volatile stock market and subjecting your hard-earned cash to the whims of Wall Street? You already know that this is not an effective and safe wealth-building strategy. Our sponsor, Private Family Banking Partners, will show you a powerful and safe way to build guaranteed multi-generational wealth. With their guidance and step-by-step method, you will be able to create your very own privatized banking system. Imagine being able to direct major portions of your monthly cash flow into your banking system and immediately start earning tax-free compound interest. Once established, you will have access to your money through a private online portal. While your money is earning uninterrupted compound interest, you can use that same money as collateral for other investments or to start a new business or self-fund major life expenditures. Best of all, no new money is needed to start. See their contact information and access their free book in the show notes below. That's what the YouTube, that's one of the problems with the YouTube thing too. It's just spoon fed to you. It's finished product. It asks nothing of you. Yeah, Yeah, just consume it. You're not making it. You're just consuming it. So like, what do we need to do for our friends? I think that's where we're going. Practically, yeah, that's exactly right. One of the first things when we're talking about teaching our kids friendship is don't spoon feed everything for them. When we would go to Boy Scout camps, like especially as I transitioned from Boy Scouts into Scout, like leading as an adult um, with my dad, one of the great keys to a successful Boy Scout camping outing was making sure that the boys had to do it all themselves. And that you established an elite adult camp where everything was awesome and you had great food and they weren't allowed to eat any of it while they <laughs> suffered and failed because they had to go figure out who's in charge here. Like, and, and, and how do we figure ourselves out and how do we, and then they suffer together and they learn and they actually become competent at it and they're having a great time and they talk about it like, what a great camp that was. And they're like, you like literally brought a frozen London broil steak with no way of cooking it and starved for a whole day while smelling our amazing cooking over Wasn't there and like slept in the dirt because you forgot your like you were miserable. But then they actually have friends and well, that's why I think can't so, spoon feed them. It was so amazing. I was thinking about Boy Scouts because the era when I was in, the dads were like Vietnam vets. <laughs> oh yeah, and I remember one guy who was a truck driver and a Vietnam vet, and he's sitting there and we're like cooking breakfast. And he's smoking a cigarette <laughs> over, over like, the white gas stove. What a king. 
And <laughs> the kid is like, uh, Mr. Whatever, I don't, I don't like that food. And he goes, well, son, I made it through Nam. He's like, we ate maggots to survive. <laughs> you know what he's like? Yeah. Goes this whole story and the kid's like about to cry. Yeah. And he's like, go back to your tent. Go back to your tent, son. <laughs> You'll eat it. Or your star. Lick the day old Dinty more can. <laughs> they just, you know? they just like, care. <laughs> it, it, you can't spoon feed. Like for our friends to have real friends, you you have to like let them figure stuff out and stop trying to program every nuance of their whole life. You have to be like, you know, what's been great for some like going and playing with Walter or hanging hang, like our sons hanging together. Cause they just do stuff. Like they decide what they're gonna do. Often it's dumb. <laughs> but they have such a good time. They do. And no one's going to like, okay, kids, from 9.45 to 10.15, it's going to be quiet screen time. And then from 10.15, we're going to prepare our peanut butter and jelly lunches. It's like, no, they, they're going to go and do their thing. Well, isn't that interesting? I was thinking even about the, the mainline church. Like when I grew up in the church, like the big box church, you know, a lot of things were so curated. Everything was programmed. One of the things we said at, Refuge is we're not going to program your entire life with all these activities. No. Like, you know, we have simple things like I was thinking about the Sunday evening hangout. Mm -hmm. We're hanging out. If you want to come, bring a Frisbee, bring your shoes, and we'll kick a kickball. But it's pretty yeah. much not organized. No. And I think that actually makes it better. It's way better. What's what's wrong with, like, the overprogrammed church in regards to friendship? Well, first— it goes back to the issue of expecting nothing from you, mm. right? People, and this is, man, I, my skin just crawls when I hear this complaint about the lack of programs. Like, I just want a Bible study. I just want a youth group. I just want this. I just want that. Like, give me the services. I don't want to have to think. I don't want, I'm not going to lead it. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to lead it. I'm going to consume. Like, I want to consume it. I just want, like a YouTube channel, I'm just going to ask that you give me everything and expect nothing mm -hmm. from me in return. That's the first thing. The second thing is that it doesn't give you space to actually have those unscheduled events. It doesn't give you space for hospitality, yeah. which is such a key for friendships. Well, isn't it crazy, too? Because when you get to, like, you know, I wish there were more programs. How do I get to know people? And I'm like, well, you sit around, like, 200 of them, like, every Sunday. And I'm like, here's what you do. You look at the person next to you and you're like, hey, do you want to come over for lunch? And they're like, yeah, but it would just be so much easier if we had a program or if we had a, you know, young whatever or an old. And it's yeah. like, well, no, we're actually trying to foster you doing the work. Yeah. You eat lunch already. Just make extra and then have somebody else eat it with you. Mm -hmm. Table fellowship is huge for this. Mm -hmm. And it gives you space for the kids to go, like, do their thing. Space play, is right? key, though. Space is absolutely key. It's really important. For your kids to be bored, and it's yeah. really important for them to be bored with other friends that are bored. Well, and the, the other thing that I've noticed, Brian, I don't know if you've seen it as well, but in a lot of the churches that were heavily programmatic, it didn't mean that people were healthier or had better relationships with each other. No, they, they tend to still—the people that have good friendships have them because they're still doing everything Dan just said. Yeah, like, they're right. still— Outside going of and all hanging. That. Like, my dad, my dad is—he's uh, got some really good friends— and uh, they're in a much more programmed church than ours. But it's like, what do they do? Well, they, they're pouring concrete this week at my dad's house together. And I unfortunately saw a shirtless pic of his friend pouring con concrete. And it was, I'm still scarred. But they go mountain biking. They're probably mountain biking literally right now. Like they're coming to that age of life where 
semi-retirement type of stuff. They're pouring into their church together. They're they're doing a lot of this, serving widows and things like that in the church. But it's because they're they're doing all those things anyway. The, it, the programs are like not the thing that did it. It, 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 when, but when you get the perfectly programmed church and you walk in and it's like, here's the conveyor belt of exactly how to be at this church, man, it, it, especially if every stop along that conveyor belt is walk in this room at this time and someone will do something for you, leave, walk out. At the next time, there's going to be a thing you walk into and then they take your kids and you go here and it's all convenient mm-hmm. and easy and there's no pain. And they'll do the thing for you. And instead, what we do is like on Tuesdays, at 6 o'clock, come to our basement. It's going to be kind of hot, uh, especially by the time everyone gets there. We're going to potluck it. You have to bring the food or no one eats. Like, we're not providing it. You just – in fact, we had to lecture them at one point, like, bring more food. There's too many. Like, and they were, oh, oh, we have to do that. We eat together. The kids eat all the dessert. Then they all run into the old janky kitchen, and they just, like, every time I walk past that, like – it's 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 like Lord of the Flies in there, <laughs> and then we all go up, and the kids are forced to sit down with their parents, and and then we all have to sing. And if no one's sing, we're learning how to sing our hymnal. If they don't, no one's gonna sing for. It's not a performance. No one. It's not choir. It's like come to our concert. Like no, they're learning how to be the choir, and then they hang out until Ben is annoyed because he has to go home, and he's the one locking up, and he's like, "Why is everyone still here?" Because uh, they're friends. <laughs> ben and is then too we gracious leave. to be annoyed. No, Ben's not most really days. Annoyed. You know, or kickball, where the kids come and we're like playing an adult game of kickball, taking it way too seriously at Sunday nights at the park, and we the kids are like, "Can can we play?" And we're like, "Yeah, but we're not giving you any mercy." And so Matt Halverson, every single time my son goes up to kick, he's right by the pitcher's mound. My son kicks it. He either catches him and gets him out immediately every time, <laughs> or he gets the grounder and ruthlessly pegs him with it as he tries to, mercilessly to run to first base, and he funny. falls and. And skins his knee and tries not to cry. And I'm like, praise the Lord. My son is learning how to be a man. But all of it is like, there's very little at our church where you show up and someone's going to do something for you. And then you leave. Yeah. And and it comes back to this. I didn't realize this until we started talking. How important this principle of not spoon feeding things is for actual friendship formation. Yeah, because one of the things you're you're doing, especially, you know, obviously – pastoring you you, you're part of a church so we're thinking a lot about that but parents could do the same things where you know creating space in your kids lives where you say you you guys play in the backyard Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna tell you everything to do like figure it out so the other day well there's some dirt there's a stick the other day my kids were i don't know they had 20 minutes i'm upstairs getting ready to to leave for work and they had taken pickleball paddles and found a ball and set up in our basement like this full basement tennis court. Great idea. And I was like, what is that noise downstairs? And I hear <laughs> one of my sons likes to grunt like Rafael Nadal. <laughs> so I'm like, what is going on down in this basement? <laughs> oh, and elite. I go down there and they're like just thrashing this like Nerf ball in the basement against each other. They, because they had the space, mm-hmm. they created a game. And mm-hmm. we had literally told them like 10 minutes before, they're like, can we watch uh, Dude Perfect? And I was like, absolutely not. Go no. find something to do. I'm bored. Whatever. And then like 10 minutes later, they're like playing this elaborate game that's amazing. With rules and a whole social system for enforcing dominance. You oh, know, exactly. Like 100%. Well, I think it's really important then, uh, the examples you gave in the church and for family is not to spoon feed, but actually to create context, mm, yeah, in, exactly. which facilitates that. And so you, you set a context in which that happens. My parents were actually really good at this. I didn't realize this again until we were just talking. So my uncle had a, a, had a cabin, a lake home, 
uh, that we would visit frequently. My dad would also take us camping on lakes. I mean, mm-hmm. lakes everywhere in Wisconsin. One of the things that they would do, they would allow me to bring a friend. And then at my uncle's cabin, he had canoes, but for some reason I didn't like the canoes. Mm-hmm. So I would use a paddle boat. Just paddle boat is the oh, m- most efficient form yeah. of hydro travel. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that you exists. Get your hands free. Yeah. <laughs> and so it is like the slowest vessel ever. And I'm like 10, 12 years old, something like that. Me and my buddy just go out in the paddle boat on this huge lake. There are boats around. We would get swept by the wind, and you're like trying to paddle against the wind and white caps, and you're like bailing out the boat as you're going along. Awesome. Anyway, you just get into some crazy trouble, you know, and it's just really fun. I love it. It's a lot of fun. That's when the moms are like, Oh, do you think he's okay? And the dad's like, I'm sure he's fine. I don't know where he is. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They had a bell. They would ring when lunch was ready. Right. And so if we didn't come back, though, nobody was worried. Like, ah, they must have been too far away. They probably not a deal. <laughs> we a got camp. towed back once. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. So, but that continued oh, on yeah. into my, you know, as I got freedom when I had my driver's license. Uh, my dad, he bought me a boat, the boat that's actually at my house right now. It's Your the dad same bought that? boat. He bought oh, it for me. It's, it's $500. Nice. For that it looks boat. like it costs $500. <laughs> it does. It does look like that. And anyway, so as I had a blue station wagon. Uh, a 1985 Plymouth Reliance station wagon, and I would tow that boat around with my buddies, and we'd scrape together gas money, and we were oh, free yeah. to do whatever, you know, just go to the lakes. And Don't you know but that. my parents really set that up, so I had a lot of buddies. Like I have, I have friends that I still keep in contact with today that I had in high school, but I met them when I was in grade school. You know, in part because of the context that my parents had set up with, like, hey, just go. Like I don't want to see you leave in the morning and then come back for lunch, yeah. you know, and then we'd go out again and they just set that up for That's us. It's great. So great. Yeah. You got to set up, got to give them context. And it's like, Oh, my neighborhood's not safe. Okay. Find a place that is relatively safe, quote unquote, and get enough people that are in their age category together and just let them loose and don't give them any activity, activity, give them a boat or a stick or a ball or, or a gun or whatever <laughs> it takes or several guns. One of the other things I think is interesting is we're thinking about how to teach this friendship to our kids. Uh, I think a lot about what Paul says in the New Testament about imitation. Follow me as I'm doing these things. You can watch my life, and you can uh, learn from and model yourself after me. One of the things I think is cool about our situation with the church is the men are actually people that my kids like to kind of hang around us. They're not with us all the time. Yeah. But they're able to hang around and listen to the conversations, see how we interact. Mm-hmm. Um, again, park days, stuff like that. They get to be a part of it. Why do you guys think it's important that we don't just say, you know, because some guys will say, oh, I have my guy friends. Like, we go golfing by myself. I never include my kids in that. Mm. And I'm just trying to be away from my family as much as possible. Or it's hunting or it's something else. So, so compare and contrast those. Why is it important for your kids to actually be called up into that male friendship culture? Well, part of it is that you're trying, one of the goals of parenting is to raise your kids into maturity, mm-hmm. right? To raise them into maturity. And I'm not talking about just like, well, they'll get older and they mature like physically. But I mean, like you're actually trying to train their affections. You're trying to uh, train their their values and their aims and their mission. You're trying to trying to train their hearts to love the right things and to hate the right things. 
and you can't do that effectively if they're if you're not around. Like if if and they don't see that modeled, you know, between other men. So so like if my boys uh, grew up and they never saw me interact with another man and never saw another man interact with me in the context of friendship, that would be something that they would walk into life not having been matured in because they have never seen it modeled. They've never been corrected in context. Just like if your boys, Eric, are in in a group of of men and they say something really stupid, yeah, which it gives you an opportunity. It's a great (laughs) it's a great opportunity for a father to say like, "Hey, son, what you said was incredibly stupid. (laughs) Try this instead." Yeah, you know, and teaching. Yeah, absolutely. It's a form of mentorship, you know, and teaching and and really raising them into to maturity. You can't do that if you're not around. I mean, that seems really obvious, but it is such a temptation, especially with some of the hobbies that guys have, yeah. because they are not conducive for kids. I cannot bring my children elk hunting, mm-hmm. not because I don't want them there, but because it is literally an impossibility. Their legs are too short. They cannot get over trees. Yeah, they can't like, it's it. just That's just the way it is. So I have to set up context in, where, in which they're able to participate in the things I love with my friends. Whitetail hunting. Whitetail hunting, yeah. <laughs> Turkey hunting. I tried pheasant hunting, find out that their legs are still too short for that. So Still too short. Yeah, I had my little boy on my shoulders while I was carrying a shotgun, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to shoot. Maybe from the hip. I don't know. It. No worries. Give him the gun. We did... <laughs> He has a better. He's on your voice. shoulders. Yeah, <laughs> he's holding yeah. the gun. Yeah, what could go wrong? That's right. Exactly. That's right. We it's right there in birds, hunter safety. So it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> tree stand safety. You're the tree. <laughs> well, he, no, officer. He was connected to me, so it's therefore my hunter safety extends to him. I shot it, and he, half of his genes are from me too. Yeah, this is a clear case. So, so yeah. So Brian, I want to ask you final thoughts as we wrap up. Uh, keys to friendship formation as you're teaching your kids. What are you thinking about? Anything in particular? practically that you are implementing to help them uh, in that regard. Yeah. The most, the single most important one is being in the right place, being in the right place where our mission is uh, possible. Mm. So like we are in this community, we're putting our roots here. We're going to, we've burned our boats. This is what we're pouring into. We have shared alignment with a lot of people around us and we're building our life to integrate with that thing. Without that, there's we would be doing a lot of ad hoc sort of stuff. But because of that, it's so much nat- more natural to do everything else we talked about, not spoon-feeding them, giving them context to have friendship, it's not over-scheduling them, not letting them have digital alternatives that they're just like consuming their life. But really, all of that grows out of this community. The community. This community. Well, don't you think it's so important to – I mean, you think about how many forces are aligned against your kids yeah. and against you and what you're trying to accomplish – how much harder it is when your church is one of those forces? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to—it's very difficult. So I think, yeah, definitely getting that is key. Well, gentlemen, it's been a great conversation. Thankful for your friendship. Brian, as we close, I think our listeners should know, is the, are there still vinyls available? Yeah, right Right now there's maybe 90, 90 sets of the Even Dragon Shell and Praise double vinyl. It's two records. In Does that package. record have thunder on it? Is that— Part of the thunder, yeah. The ACDC. Do you mean the song like? Yeah, Imagine Dragons. Thunder. No, no, that's ACDC. Oh, you're talking about. 
Oh, the 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 band known as Imagine Dragons. Your is that not the same thing? Act. The lightning comes they, before you know, the thunder. They actually that... don't. They it doesn't have. What that. about sharks? Is sharks on there? I, is that an Imagine Dragons song? Oh, dude, phenomenal! I don't know Imagine Dragons at all. Wait, what are we talking about? Aren't they gay Mormons? <laughs> are they literally gay Mormons? I just thought you like listening to gay more music. <laughs> this is this wow. comes as a surprise hey, to me. But you know what? <laughs> just hearing this for the first time. People, people should ignore everything we just said. But should you know what? I? They shouldn't ignore Eric and Dan. <laughs> they should not ignore the fact that they should sign up and become patrons of the King's Hall and get access to oh. our our behind the scenes after hours show. Because you just got a glimpse of it. They should, yeah, because you just got a glimpse. If you don't like it, don't sign up. If you you like all of the parts where they're like, wow, they really should have edited that out probably, then after hours is for you. And you know what? It helps us continue to make this content and put it out free. It helps us continue to put out 90 plus percent of everything we do absolutely free. Couldn't do it without you guys. So you know what? Check it out. Check it out. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, until next time, Festa Nolente, we will make haste slowly.